Well, what's up, everybody? Good to see you guys. Woo! I want to give a shout out to Sloan Creek and Espanol Woodbridge, those watching online, and especially our newest campus celebrating their one year anniversary, Richardson! Woo! They told me to give a shout out in order to get a free t shirt, and it was totally worth it. So, congratulations, guys. Love it, love it, love it. Now, today I get to be part of this unexpected Jesus series where, I mean, there's so many sides of Jesus that we typically don't know about. Some sides that are super real and sometimes shockingly real. I mean, the cool thing about this series is that every week is going to be amazing, but I have the privilege to talk about the fun side of Jesus, the partying Jesus. He loved to party, to celebrate, to have fun. Now, out of all the sides of Jesus, this is probably the most unexpected side. Because when we think about Jesus through movies and images and and even at church, we typically see him as more stoic or holy, holy, halo, holy, or all uptight or whatever. And and also, why is it that he always has well-groomed, conditioned, long hair? (laughs) I mean, that's every single time that happens. Now, for some reason, Every single Jesus movie that was ever made, why is it that he has a British accent? I don't understand. He's a Jew. And so, and then this accent makes him seem even more sophisticated and dignified. And so let me uh, try that out for a second here. So, (laughs) I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Courtesy applause, thank you. As you can tell, I'll probably never be invited to Downton Abbey's set. Because I'm Asian. (laughs) Now the reality is, since all humans were created by the image of God, we, all of our emotions, Jesus had too. And so therefore it's probably safe to say that Jesus smiled. And can I even dare to say he laughed check out this picture that one of our pastors here greg holmes drew a little while back i love this picture we don't have enough of these type of jesus pictures i mean look at that he 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 definitely is a man that smiled and laughed and uh, side note it's uncanny how he looks exactly like a chase oker here um chick stanisek (laughs) it's crazy but that is actually supposed to be jesus not you chip it's all good Or wouldn't it be great if the original language of the Bible included emojis? At least we'd see some emotion and get some expressions out of that. Well, as a matter of fact, some people have decided to make a translation out of the Bible through emojis. So let's check this out. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. That was from Genesis chapter 1, new emoji translation. The NET version. And for sure, Jesus had to have a sense of humor. Did you know that there are actually hidden jokes in the Bible? Check this out. Who are the skinniest people in the Bible? The skinniest people. The Israelites. Because they is real lights. Mm-hmm. There's more. What type of fur did Adam and Eve first wear? 
What type of fur? Bear skin. That one, some of you guys may get it at lunch. I don't know. We'll see. Did you know that you could find beer in the Bible? It's all over the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. This is what a master's in seminary can get you. Yes. The secrets of the Bible. Speaking of masters, some very smart doctors, according to Google, claims that smiling causes the brain to release certain hormones like dopamine and serotonin. Dopamine increases our feelings of happiness. And serotonin is associated with reduced stress. Isn't God seriously amazing how he created us? See, because everything good is from God. And yet this is another example of science reinforcing that how God tells us to live is the best way to live. In the Bible, he says to rejoice always, that be thankful in all circumstances. It's probably hard not to smile when you're really looking for things to be thankful for and to rejoice regardless of what you're going through. Now, without using the new emoji translation, let's take a look at a story where we see the party Jesus play out. John chapter 2, start from verse 1. On the third day, A wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, back then, Jewish weddings, it lasted for days, typically up to a week. Can you imagine how much food and drinks that'll take? That's a lot of food. That's a lot of drinks. I mean, that's a lot of money. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, shoot, I am so thankful that my daughters are not Jewish. Whew! My pastor's salary, that's not going to happen. Let's move on, verse 3. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, running out of wine back then was not only an embarrassment, but it was utterly dishonoring to the guests. I get this. See, 20 years ago, when Cindy and I got married, we ran out of food. Let me explain. <laughs> So both our dads are elders in their respective churches. And to, because of Korean social pressure, they, were, they, were, they fell into basically having to not exclude anyone, so they invited all their whole church, both their churches. So we estimated maybe 500 people will show up, because maybe not everyone will show up. We're like, okay, 750, hello, 750, what the heck, what kind of wedding is that? I mean, there was no RSVP, no e-bites back then, no weddings, website or anything. So, and by the way, we also, because of Korean tradition, we also end up greeting and bowing to 750 people on the way out. Talk about a backache. And you know what? There was so much serotonin and dopamine going on because even when you fake smile, it releases those hormones. I was like, oh, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. I'm like, I can't stop smiling. It's like it was stuck for days, I feel like. So we ran out of food. But fortunately, the caterers saved the day. They went back to the restaurant, brought 250 more servings, really for our closest friends, and they saved the day. Because think about it. If you think about the most memorable weddings, typically you're not going to remember the sermon. You're not going to even remember the decorations. You'll probably remember those weddings that had the best food and maybe those weddings that, meh, maybe not so good. 
And our wedding almost was known as the wedding that made our best friends starve. But fortunately, that did not happen. So this wedding that Jesus is at is having a huge dilemma. So let's look at verse 4. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Now, can you imagine later on tonight your wife asking you, Honey, we're out of milk. Woman, why are you involving me? My hour has not yet come. I'm just trying to be more like Jesus. Well, you know what? Hopefully you have a comfortable couch. (laughs) Been married 20 years. I learned a couple of things during my time. (laughs) You're trying to be more like Jesus, but actually the Greek translation actually meant more like dear woman or my lady. It was a very respectful term that Jesus addressed Mary with. Some things you got to interpret a little more and not just take it out of context. So when Jesus said his hour has not yet come, He was referring to how it wasn't time yet to make his public appearance as the Savior and Messiah of the world. So let's continue. Verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So this would be a great spot for an emoji to show the expression of Mary's face. I mean, I don't know if she was just kind of shrugging her shoulders or just kind of rolling her eyes. Ah, Whatever. Just, Just do what he says. Whether Jesus goes on to Amazon Prime or Total Wine or make a Costco run, whatever. If he is the son of God that he claims to be, he'll figure something out. Because at this point, he's never done a miracle yet. So she has no idea how he's going to figure it out, but she trusts him regardless. So let's look at verse 6 of how Jesus actually remedies this issue. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He then called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guest had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Let's pause for a second here. It's pretty cool when we study the Bible to not just skim through it so quick, but to take deeper looks every once in a while to really see what's going on. So 20 to 30 gallons each. Let's average it out to 25 gallons. Six jars makes it 150 gallons total typically it takes about five bottles to make up a gallon so that's 750 bottles of wine and we're not talking about two buck chucks according to google a very typical good bottle of wine costs 32 dollars and 48 cents and so that makes it about at least 24,360 dollars worth of amazing wine talk about bang for your buck I love these kind of deals. I mean, it's like turning paper coupons into cold, hard cash. It's amazing. I studied economics in college, and I'm also consider myself somewhat economically savvy. So I love it when there's a BOGO deal or a free coupon or some kind of great deal. And this was the ultimate deal, water to expensive wine. Now, besides the economics here, Jesus saves the party. He not only saves the host from utter embarrassment, and insulting the guests, 
But he upgrades the party with the best wine ever. Out of all the miracles that Jesus will later on perform, healing the blind, walking on water, calming the storm, raising people from the dead, and so forth, he chooses turning water to wine as his first miracle. Jesus keeps the party going. What a cool guy. A stereotypical and accurate understanding of Jesus is maybe he's more of a killjoy. Maybe he'll turn wine into water. Uh, you had way too much to drink water. <laughs> oh, you? Uh, pretty good. Like beer? Okay. Vitamin water for you. <laughs> I mean... But even after it's clearly stated that the guest had too much to drink, he turns the water to the best wine. The Bible is clearly not anti-drinking. But at the same time, it's clear about not getting drunk. So what in the world is going on here, Jesus? See, the Jews at the time, including the disciples and all the other Jews later, would later on hear about this miracle, they understood that Jesus was actually fulfilling a prophecy from centuries prior about the coming Messiah. We see this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 25. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. This is a foreshadow of what heaven will be like. Based on the quantity and quality of wine that Jews provided, Jewish people knew and understood that the Messiah would not just come to save parties, but to save the world. And Jesus is that Messiah that they had long been waiting for. See, here's a significant truth that we can draw from all this. Jesus is about relationship over religion. Relationship over religion. Jesus chose to love first, laws second. Jesus wants to restore our relationship with him that sin has broken. See, religion is a system of beliefs which followers abide by a bunch of rules, do's and don'ts, striving to achieve some ultimate afterlife goal. Religion requires being good enough, which we can never achieve. Whereas relationship requires believing in the only one who is good enough and good enough on our behalf. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of reaching God. For the consequence of sin is death. But the free gift of God is an eternal life through Jesus and Jesus alone. Religion is driven by fear of not messing up and trying to be good enough. Boring. Relationship is driven by love. Where we do, not, that we, where we do good not because we have to, but because Jesus' love compels us to as a response of loving him back. Now that is an exciting way to live. Love going all back and forth. 
I grew up in a, as a fourth-generation Christian. My great-grandfather was martyred as a, a lone martyr in his village because he was the only Christian that would not renounce Jesus and bow to the emperor and was used as an, as an example. Now, growing up in that kind of Christian home and that type of Christian legacy, I had no choice but to feel the pressure and the burden of having to be a model Christian. Additionally, up until eighth grade, I grew up in a home where it was all about religion more than relationship. No shopping on Sundays, mandatory suit and tie every time I come to church. I mean, when we go on vacations, we drive all the way back just to attend church and then go all the way back to vacation to continue it so that we don't miss church. I mean, it was crazy, hardcore rules in our home. But in the summer of 1984 at camp, God opened my eyes and my heart to realize that Christianity wasn't about religion. Because I'll never be good enough, but about a personal relationship with Jesus who is good enough on my behalf. It was then that I said yes to Jesus and received his free gift of forgiveness and an eternal relationship with him. I see Jesus totally different now, differently now. He's approachable. He's a real person that gets what we go through. He's not some cosmic entity out there. He's relatable. I can talk to him. I can experience love from him. I want to love him back, though I fall short many times, but he still loves me anyways. See, Jesus is about relationship over religion. There are numerous examples in the Bible where Jesus loves first. And through his kindness, compels people to make better choices moving forward. Romans 2.4 reads, In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. See, this is why everything we do at Chase Oaks, it's not out of guilt, shame, or judgment. We want to invite, inspire, inform from the Bible to compel us to connect to serve, and to give. Because in the end of the day, we want to be driven by our love relationship with Jesus and love for people. I'd like to share a story that we highlighted several months ago of a great example of a chase hoker doing what I'm talking about. So let's check out the screens. Hi, I'm Jennifer Schmidt from Sloan Creek. Love Does the Unexpected has been a great movement for me, giving me confidence to do things that I might otherwise not take the opportunity to do. About 18 months ago, I was walking my dogs in my neighborhood, and it was trash day, Thursday night. My neighbor at the end of the cul-de-sac, who I have attempted to befriend for the last seven years to no avail, pops out of her house and is throwing away an empty bottle of vanilla crown. It just was on my heart that I should go to the liquor store, buy some vanilla crown royal, and go visit my neighbor. And I thought, that's crazy. This neighbor doesn't even want to get engaged with me. I finally say, I give up God. I'm going to go to the liquor store. Having God push me to step out of my comfort zone and take a chance um, to interact with her even though over the last seven years it's not worked out. This was a day that she just felt so low and so unloved and uncared for. Love Does the Unexpected movement allowed me to be the light in someone's life um, when there was only darkness, um, to give her reinforcement of, you know, she's worth being loved. Allow yourself to be the light and to do something for someone that may change their day 
change their year or change the rest of their life. I love that. It wasn't about the crown royal. It was about Jennifer seeing her neighbor and letting her know that she is loved, that Jesus sees her, that Jesus knows her, that Jesus wants an eternal relationship with her. See, when Jesus turned the water to wine, he was making a statement of relationship over religion. Three years later, after that wedding, Jesus used wine to represent his blood, which he shed on the cross. In Matthew 26, 27 to 28, in his final supper with his disciples, he says, And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you, drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the new covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. See, the jars of water cleaned hands before eating. But that was just temporary cleaning. The wine represented Jesus' blood, which cleans us from our sin permanently, eternally, forever. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is why we can be forgiven. We just need to believe in him and say yes in receiving his free gift of an eternal relationship. You see, Jesus is in the turning business He turned water into wine. He turns our sorrow into joys. He turns our pain into healing. He turns us from destructive lives into abundant, fulfilling lives. He turns our mourning into dancing. He turns our hate towards love. He turns our weakness to strengths. He turns our regrets to redemption. He turns our mistakes to ministry. He turns our hopeless life into life with meaning and purpose. He turns us from religion to relationship. So we can smile because Jesus wants to turn your life and my life into his best life. Will you join me in a word of prayer? There's some of us here today that maybe you've been kicking the tires of Christianity. Maybe you've been checking it out. And maybe today is the day that I may not know everything, but I know enough to want to say yes to Jesus, to want to take that step and receive his free gift of of forgiveness as well as an eternal relationship, then you know what? We don't have to make big fanfare out of it. When I pray, just pray in your heart, Jesus, I want to begin my eternal relationship with you. And that's it. And you will start that relationship. For others of us, maybe we've been doing this Christian thing, this religious thing. And maybe it's time to move to relationship, to move motivated by love, not duty, to move to motivated by a relationship, not religion. And let today be a new day, a new marker. And for others, maybe we're we're struggling of how do I love better? How do I love more creatively? How do I love in an unexpected way, the way Jesus does? Ask and you shall receive. If it is lined up with God's will, you will receive it guaranteed. So ask. Until now you have not asked, but ask in my name and it will be given to you. So let's do that. Let's stretch ourselves and stretch our love. Jesus, we thank you so much that you loved us in such an unexpected way because you are an unexpected God. 
But thank God that you are unexpected. Thank God that you love us when we don't deserve it. Thank God that you want a relationship with us even while we're sinners and your enemies. Thank God that you died for us so that we don't have to die and we can receive your free gift of eternal relationship. And God, for those that said yes today, for those that want to move from religion to relationship, for those that want to stretch their love, God, thank you that you invite every single person into this relationship that one day we look forward to that we will be in the new heaven, new earth where your banqueting table will be waiting for us for the finest of meats and the best aged wine. We look forward to the party that you are going to host and you're going to invite us all into. So thank you, Jesus, that we get to party on this end, but we have an even better one waiting for us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.